Today's episode is brought to you by No Boring Design. Wow, what a name. No, we know this team well. We've brought them in to help with a number of engagements when design becomes a bottleneck for shipping campaigns quickly. Uh, also when design is boring, right? A lot of B2B status quo becomes boring and it doesn't have to be. So we bring this team in, they level up the quality design and they remove design as a bottleneck to ship campaigns, content, product marketing assets, you name it. If it needs a design and you're hung up on it, this team can help. Um, somehow they managed to do this. I think their price point starting out is 2,500 a month. Uh, obviously goes up from there, but what a great resource. We've seen them firsthand do great work with Dropbox, Yelp, a number of our big clients they've been a part of. So check them out, noboringdesign.com, noboringdesign.com. Welcome to season three of Best in SaaS, where we talk through patterns and playbooks in the revenue sprint to 100 million in ARR and beyond with the industry's most accomplished executives, entrepreneurs, and investors. Season three is brought to you by Chargebee. Chargebee helps SaaS businesses of all sizes maximize the growth potential and revenue with a leading global subscription management platform that delivers fast time to value plus exceptional service and support. Learn more at chargebee.com. All right, here we are back today for another episode, this time with Chris Byers, um, CEO of Formstack. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to chat. Yeah. Well, so listen, um, you know, I reached out because I, I thought you've taken a really interesting approach to growth with Formstack. And I wanted to dig in today covering two topics. Um, we've discussed this a bit already, but essentially you've used M&A as a lever for growth in a way that I think is really interesting, especially for a company of your size. And then just generally, I think this, in, this kind of intention of building a business versus building a unicorn, that can be second part of the conversation. But why don't we start with really high level context set for the audience about you know, what Formstack is, how you got to where you are today. And then let's just dive straight into that M&A as a path for growth conversation. Yeah, that's great. So Formstack's been around for about 15 years. And we started as kind of uh, really straightforward, non-technical, build a form, uh, drag and drop form builder and start to collect data online. And have really moved into what is effectively process automation. And so helping people with these day-to-day -day business problems that still take way too much time or too repetitive. Think something like HR onboarding, where if you're still sending emails back and forth, instead of saying, fill out a form, you know, get your handbook generated, get it to e-signature, then you're probably losing a bunch of time that you could be spending on more valuable tasks. And so, yeah, get teams kind of 250 people and, and uh, growing well and, and been kind of a fun journey. Interesting. So how did you get to that? What was your first M&A transaction, first acquisition, and what led up to that? You know, so from day one, uh, so back in 2008 and nine, we raised about a million dollars in kind of angel, call it dollars. And at the time kind of thought, oh, okay, this could be a really good, call it venture backed growth organization. But one of the things we kept kind of kept being challenged by was it's not quite as simple as just drop some extra dollars in the top and we're going to get the right, you know, sales team built or whatever. And then I also came from a background uh, around real estate. And so like a profitable business that cash flowed was just something that I even had to work myself into SaaS and like, what, <laughs> what does this mean? And, and how do you lifetime values? And it was like, yeah, what about just paying the bills every day? And so 
I think that all came together that over the course of, you know, five, six, seven years, it's kind of like, you know what, we could go raise some growth capital, but I'm, a, I'm afraid we're going to dump it in here and we're just going to blow it all. And it, yeah, of course, we'll get some um, great marketing campaigns and we'll acquire some customers, but it's not going to play out. And then one day we uh, were really, we kind of committed to say, you know what, Salesforce is a great channel for us. If you collect data and get it into Salesforce, that's a pretty obvious use case for people to, to enrich their, their CRM data. And we said, you know what, we're, we're really struggling to uh, get into the Salesforce app exchange. And so we said, all right, let's do this whole build buy thing. And we ran across a company that we felt like we could kind of fund in our own capital. And uh, ultimately, this is late 2017, we were able to kind of strike a deal with them. And all of a sudden, we went from a completely organic growth story uh, around kind of forms and data collection to, okay, all of a sudden, we've, we've acquired a business and it's actually helping us grow faster. Um, it's actually helping solve a problem within the Salesforce ecosystem that's, uh, that's helping customers out. And so that was the beginning of us seeing, you know, this can be a really good additional way to grow. We still want to grow organically. We don't want to um, count on M&A because that means you're not really growing if you're not <laughs> still organically growing. Uh, somebody will figure that out someday is, is, is the problem. So want to still keep a great growth engine, but uh, that was kind of the beginning of the M&A story. And so what did you, you know, in that decision after the acquisition, how did you determine that it was such a successful play for you that you wanted to go and do it four more times? <laughs> you know, I think a couple of things came together. One is we, as the, we, of course, care about culture and, and everybody says culture is the most important thing in, in M&A. But if you look around, people buy whatever random business they want. And, and you can tell that culture is not always a part of the story. Um, they're just trying to buy a, a you know technical asset or whatever. We got a team that was just great. They, they got us, we got them, and we melded really pretty quickly. And so that was a piece of, man, that we just really enhanced who we are. Actually, it was a mostly Toronto-based team. So all of a sudden, we went from a mostly US-based organization to uh, a little bit more breadth and depth in terms of uh, kind of diversity and team. And so those were all wins. In, in, in addition to all of a sudden, customers who were using our core forms product were saying, oh, yeah, I, I also want to use that Salesforce form and data collection process because I have so many things, so much information uh, kind of buried in Salesforce. And so we were actually, that was actually the final moment where we had said, you know what, let's go try to raise some capital for this business. We see some growth opportunity. And it wasn't even in more M&A. It was just, it was kind of uh, build the sales team, build the marketing team, build the product team. And we got engaged with uh, a group called Providence Strategic Growth. And they said, hey, we, we actually, um, they were not interested in kind of dropping capital to the balance sheet, but said, hey, what we can help you with M&A though. And we can see that there are so many obvious things that sit just around the moment of data collection. So uh, generating a document, for instance, is kind of an obvious next step after you collect data to generate a quote or a contract or whatever. And then, of course, e-signature to close that loop. And all of a sudden, you've got a, a you know, customer fills that information, gets you all the way to close deal um, in, in a pretty uh, kind of straightforward way. All of a sudden, it sounded like a pretty exciting opportunity. And so we we took an investment from them that really just all has been about um, building that M&A story. And so we have built uh, document generation, e-signature, uh, built a, a, bought a sync tool that kind of helps sync data between CRMs and then um, a survey tool where, you know, think about in-person surveys, say at a, a conference or something like that, which of course the past year has not been amazing, uh, but, uh, you know, 
you want to collect that data in person, maybe on a, a kiosk or an iPad or something. But that was kind of uh, that, that's what we've been through in the past couple of years. And so we're, real, we're really saying uh, have been working on how do we pull those together in a really seamless customer experience so that everybody can quickly get to these products, tie them together and automate more kind of going on in their business. I love that. So help, help me understand, you know, sometimes I bring guests on the show where they're, they're fully on this VC. I'm trying to build a unicorn as quickly as possible uh, treadmill. And, and then I other, I, other times I bring on guests, sounds like more, more like yourself where you're building a, a business that is able to sustain itself in a way that doesn't require that path. Not to say one is better or, or right, but I think our guests, our, our, um, our audience would be really interested to just understand your thinking behind the scenes and like how, how did you decide to type to build this type of business and how do you think about the future of this type of business? You know, I, I think I, I have I have no problem with the venture funded organization that is, you know, has an opportunity to create the unicorn. What I will say though is as I've looked in most cases, most people still cap out at some amount of growth in, in that early stage of yeah, we venture money worked for a while. But as you think about Here's the maybe simplistic way I think about it. We all know in a business, we need CRM. We all know at some size, we need some HR system. We all know we need these these kind of like in marketing, some sort of email system. If you are not in one of those categories, and by the way, if you're in one of those categories, it's a super competitive market. So that's a tough place to be a startup. But if you're not in one of those categories, you need to always be very aware that you may have a great value proposition, a great use case, a great... Uh, something that plenty of people need, but they don't always know they need it. Once you engage with them, they might be like, oh yeah, I totally need this. This is going to change my life. But because you're not in one of those categories, you drop uh, dropping kind of too much money into the business and saying, hey, we can just scale this as fast as possible might not always work out because again, not everybody knows they have to have it. When you know you have to have it, you'll pay for it. And when someone engages with you, you you know, oh yeah, I'm going to have to solve that problem eventually. So I'll have a conversation. And so for us, what we've thought a little bit more about is as we can extend use cases and, and we've kind of documented 500 use cases across the way you can use our product, that allows us to go to market in a lot of different ways. We can run a you know, a small AdWords campaign around contract generation or around event uh, kind of lead capture or, you know, keep going and keep going and keep going. And so what it does is it allows you to kind of create a big moat of sorts that that keeps competition away because it's hard to replicate, you know, hundreds of use cases. But on the flip side, that also allows you to, I mean, for us, has allowed us to say, you know what, we're not going to run the venture model, but we can be profitable. And what profit means is... Like tomorrow, the bills will still get paid. So even if growth slows or like take last year, we didn't have to take any drastic action. And those are moments where we didn't know what was happening with COVID. We could say, hey, we're a profitable business. So let's keep supporting our team and, um, and, and keep growing. And so I think it's just a balance of saying, it's really, if you take that venture money and you don't have that right kind of, you know, thread, I suppose, that you can pull on, you might just dump a ton of money in, in the business, dilute yourself, especially if you're an owner, and all of a sudden you didn't get anywhere or you didn't get very far. And now you're in a pretty bad situation. If you can run a profitable business, you know what? It might take a little bit more time, 
Uh, that's the, I've been here for 11 years. And I think for a lot of founders and, and earlier stage people, uh, that sounds like an eternity. And it probably is. I probably even thought that way in the earlier days, but time actually does compound. And like these things build up and you now look back and it's like, we've grown a decent size organization and, um, and, and have a lot of sustainability, which I think is, is something that more of us probably need in our life. <laughs> Certainly. No, I, I really appreciate this approach. All right. So before we get on to the second half of this episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our close friends over at Mattermade. For those of you who don't know them, Mattermade helps some of the fastest growing B2B SaaS companies drive revenue as an extension of their marketing teams. We're talking companies like Dropbox, Calm, Loom, Product Board, and many others who trust Mattermade to help them drive their marketing and demand gen initiatives. You can check out their seemingly endless supply of case studies over at mattermade.co. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm curious as if there's anything, you know, reflecting back that you wish you had learned as a lesson as a business leader or, or even specific to this business that, you know, if you were to start something in the future, this would be at the forefront of your mind. You know, in the early days, I thought you could build, um, and this was kind of for me in 2010. So you had businesses, that, it was kind of like the refresh of SaaS and, and these great growth businesses and unicorns. So I kind of thought if you built the perfect product, you would eventually find great growth. Well, I wish I would have known early on, it is just a sum total of great product, great marketing, learning how to sell it, learning how to tell your story in the market. And all that has to come together. If you just have a great product, you could easily not be found. And if you can't be found, it doesn't matter that you've built a really great product. As we've looked at buying businesses, it's amazing how many people get to these stages of, you know, they had a great growth story and they hit like 3 million bucks in revenue. And then they're like, we couldn't get past it. We we don't know what to do next Um, because yeah, it was a good product. It got you a little bit of traction, but if you want to scale to 50, a hundred million dollars, you've kind of missed out on that moment of, oh, we needed to build a marketing team and a sales team and, and learn how to support customers in a better way. And so I wish I would have known that a perfect product <laughs> kind of isn't enough. Like the, you, you really need that full uh, full suite to, of, of a business at the end of the day to kind of get your message across. Totally. And then, and lastly, as we wrap it up, I'm curious, are there any folks who have been really influential in your path, either as mentors or even peers who you've looked up to through this process of, of building your business? Yeah, you know, I, I tell people all the time that I've actually had a, a probably three paid business coaches throughout my 11 years. And the, I go back to the first one, which was two years in where I was discovering, oh, I need to build and communicate vision. I need to document culture and like these things that, that weren't native to me, I guess. And he really helped me through those uh, and kind of unlocked leading people better, leading an organization better. And ever since then, I have almost always had paid or unpaid. At times, it's kind of a board member who's just great and cares to spend enough time with me. Um, But I've almost always had a a business, a, a mentor of some sort. And I think it's vital for any role, absolutely anywhere. And then the other thing I did... um earlier stage was uh, founded a group of CEOs who were kind of in a similar uh, similar boat. And we used to have breakfast once a month for um, it was pretty consistent for about four years. And that was just a great place to sit, share issues that are going on, share challenges and, and kind of work through that. And so that support system to me is vital for anybody in a leadership role. 
Fantastic. Well, Chris, this has been a really nice conversation. I appreciate you uh, sharing these stories with us. Well, it's been, been great. I uh, really enjoyed it. 